May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Earlier this year in March, two men went on trial in Weisbaden, Germany, accused of forging art. It seems that they had um, sold hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of art that was... um, that they were accused of forging, that they weren't real. And so they went on trial, and, um, and witnesses were brought in. The witnesses testified to the men's trustworthiness or the lack thereof, their previous business dealings and all this sort of thing. And then they got down to the nitty-gritty of actually looking at the art. The prosecution had these expert witnesses come in and say, these are forgeries. And then the defense brought in expert witnesses with absolutely impeccable credentials who said, They are not forgeries. These are authentic paintings. And so they're back and forth, whether they're authentic or not. The men were found not guilty. And the judge later said to a reporter, if you ask ten different art historians the same question, you get ten different answers. It's like when you have two Anglican priests in any room, you always have three opinions. I guess the same thing is true with art historians. And and then later in the the year, um, the Museum of Fine Arts in Belgium had 24 of its works taken down out of an exhibit because they were supposedly forgeries from the same Russian artist that the men in Germany had been accused of forging. And then three weeks before that, in Genoa, Italy, 21 paintings were taken down all this year again, under the assumption that they were forgeries. And I wonder, you know, like, who knows? I was at a friend's house who says to me, this, and I I believe him, this is an original Picasso. Now, I don't know. I believe it was because he told me it was. He also had a Salvador Dali. I'm like, oh, my word. You know, know, do you have enough locks on your doors? Um... But I wouldn't know if they're real or not. I suppose you probably wouldn't either. In fact, you could have a learned degree in art history, apparently, and still not be able to tell the difference between some of these uh, uh, forgeries and the real article. And it got me wondering today, like, how would you know if an authentic preacher showed up? You know, how would you know if, you know, the guy here you've seen for a decade, how do you know? Or what if we had a guest preacher come in, and that guest preacher, um, you know, you kind of look at, at him and wonder. I mean, maybe we judge by, you know, the, the nice robes, you know, the, the collar. But those can be faked, can't they? You can buy any of this stuff on, you know, some catalog. I'll give them to you. You can buy it for yourself. What if he came in and he was wearing a camel hair coat? Not like one you get at Saks. Um, I'm talking about one that sort of still has the lumps, you know, has the impression like maybe a camel itself was wearing it just a few days earlier. You know, would we really? What if this guy had, you know, not, you know, not, not, not a nice, neatly trimmed beard, but you know, like a really bushy one, you know, and he had wild eyes. And maybe when he smiled, you saw little grasshopper legs sticking out of his teeth. Um, you might think. I don't know, this dude is a little bit weird. And that's exactly what happens in the gospel, don't we? We have John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness and people going out to see him. And this is exactly what he looks like. Long hair, big bushy beard, grasshopper sticking out of his teeth, wild looking eyes. 
And people are going out to hear him. They think of him as an authentic preacher, a real prophet. They want to see what's going on, what he's saying. And, and maybe, I thought, maybe it's just a bit of novelty. You know, everybody likes the sort of odd thing, you know. Maybe here and there a little bit, but not all the time. And so they go out to hear him. I can just imagine him being interviewed, interviewed on the evening news, you know. So, Mr. Baptist, tell me, you know, why are the people coming out here to see you? Wild-eyed. All these people hanging around. But just for, just for a sense of, of, of getting to know him a little better, how about his sermon? You're going to like it. It's very short. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is his sermon. Repent. It's a command. Stop. Go. Um, don't. <laughs> don't touch that. You know, It's a command to... To repent, to stop doing something, um, it, it actually metanoia to, to change your mind. Change your mind. Think differently. I thought about how difficult that is for us to think differently. We 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 have our ideas and we hold to them very tightly. I mean, whatever it is, we we want. Somebody to tell us that we're right, not somebody to ever say we're wrong, right? This isn't, this isn't to say I'm wrong. You know how hard, ladies, it is for, for men to say, um, I think we need to pull in and get directions because we're lost. I mean, we don't do that. You know why? Because we're never lost. We always know where we're going. The GPS is barking and we're shutting it off. No, I'm not wrong. Don't tell me I'm wrong. In Hebrew, which is undoubtedly the language that John was speaking, he wasn't speaking in Greek. He was speaking either in Hebrew or Aramaic. Shuv. Repent. It means to turn around and go the other direction. It's like a physical thing where you're walking one way and you turn all the way around and you go the other way. It's it's a a very physical kind of body-involved Idea versus the sort of the Greek approach where it's changing one's mind, but they both sort of work hand in glove, don't they? To say I'm wrong, I'm going the wrong way, I need to turn around. This works in homes with married couples, right? I was wrong, I'm sorry. It works on the playground. No, I was wrong, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that. It works with co-workers and best friends. Sooner or later, everyone has to recognize that they were wrong. Stop. Go a different direction. But what about the people who were going out to hear John? I mean, what was it about them that they were, you know, what were they doing that was so wrong? Because they were ordinary men and women just like us. They were just regular people who were interested in religion, who were seeking to live a good life. What were they doing that was so wrong? That John says repent. I don't think they were your hardened sinner types. They weren't out um, holding up banks, you know. Uh, they weren't into petty larceny. They, they, were, they were good people. I think the key is when John says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He doesn't mean it's almost time to go to heaven. He means that the king of heaven is on his way here. Think about that. Repent. The king of heaven is about to show up. He's on his way. He's coming here. 
The king of heaven is about to show up here. And and I think for many Jews in the first century, especially living under Roman occupation, the image was that God is going to show up and he's going to free us from these pesky Romans and all the world is going to come and bow down to us. And and politically, we will have real power. Repent. Stop thinking like that. Change your mind. Change your direction. But it's not just them. You heard the other group that shows up, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But when he saw, that is John the Baptist, saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Oh, my word. Now, these are the most religious people in the entire community. They dress religiously. They, everything about them, they, you know, that is just it just oozes religious observance and devotion. And John calls them, you children of snakes. <laughs> you know, it, this, is a, this is a very uh, uh, a pejorative term. He's, he's calling them a, uh, something they don't want to hear. Bring forth fruit. Bring forth deeds that, that fit with repentance. What do they repent of? Well, I think repentance involves real confession of sin. Maybe they don't rob, rob banks or shoplift or, you know, beat up people. Maybe they don't do those sorts of things. But sins of selfishness and pride. Sins of, um, of being unsatisfied with blessings. Uh, sins of self-reliance. Sins of greed and lust and gluttony. Sins of anger and violence. Sins that are, that are enumerated in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments that we just read. The king of heaven's on his way. It's time to repent. It's time to say, oh, uh, the one who knows me through and through is about to be here. The one from whom, you know, no secrets are hid. That one is about to show up. But I think there's a second type of sins as well, and that's sins of pretense. Sins of being outwardly religious without being inwardly righteous. Sins of knowing what to do, how to, how to go through the liturgy. But is there a real relationship with Christ? Is there a sense of knowing God present in our everyday? Or is it just a sense of, of an appearance of being religious? And I think this is the real heart of what, what John is saying. Repent, and he calls this the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. It's not enough to be outwardly religious. That real repentance revolves a change of heart and a change of life. And if there's no change of heart, no change of life, there is just a, an outward shell. This is what Jesus says too, doesn't he, to the same group. You are like whitewashed sepulchers. You're like a, a, a painted tomb. It looks really pretty on the outside, but inside it's just full of dead bones. Repent. The king of heaven is about to show up. Well, you know where we are in our calendar we're we're just a few weeks away from christmas right and and friends are going to be saying you know the question you know the question right so are you ready for christmas <laughs> this is what they say and what do they mean they mean you know have the cookies been baked has the house been decorated have the presents been bought have they been wrapped? I mean, they're not ready until they're wrapped, right? 
this is what it is. Are you, are you ready for Christmas? John the Baptist says the Messiah is coming, and he doesn't mean any of that. Are you ready for the Messiah to arrive? Are you ready for him to come? Are you ready for Christmas? Pish posh. Are you ready? Are we ready to meet our judge who shows up in our world? The one who can tell the authentic thing from the fraud. The one who can see right through. Are we ready for that one to come? I think if John the Baptist were asking if we're ready for Christmas, he might mean something altogether different than what our friends mean when they ask us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.